Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Casey O'Hollick, and I am still social distancing. I'm also spending a fair amount of time online, hanging out on Reddit, keeping up with cute doggos on Facebook, and even networking. In this episode, we explore online communities. Online communities build bridges, solve problems, and even foster very genuine relationships and connections. There are a ton of online communities out there. So listen in as we uncover the challenges and opportunities that you might find and ways that you can connect in your real neighborhood and in your virtual one. You'll hear from Ruth Wheel, a 10-year administrator on the River West Neighborhood Facebook group, our friend Jeremy Foyette, chief idea officer at New Walkie, and online community expert Darren Goff. If you want to stay up to date on how you can best get involved in your Milwaukee community, subscribe from wherever you get podcasts to get new episodes dropped into your feed every week. And if you like what we're doing and you want to support our work, consider becoming a patron of ours on Patreon. We're all still volunteers here at Bridge the City, but your support helps make it easier for us to keep building the Bridge the City community. First up, we talk with Ruth Wheel, community organizer and River West Neighborhood Facebook Group resident administrator. So being a community organizer and trying to get resources to residents and inform people of what's going on was something that has been a goal for my work for a long time. And I just transitioned it also into social media, which seemed to be the new you know, medium, I consider social media a tool. So the goal wasn't separate for me necessarily. It was just one of many tools in the toolbox to get information out. And what would you say some of the shared interests are today? Diverse. So let me tell you, being that there's only almost 14,000 people on this page, the interests are diverse. So there's the sharing of information, events, resources, you know, um, lost dogs, lost credit cards, found keys, I'm missing a package, um, to political information, some warranted, some not, you know, occasionally there's the, I saw someone committing a crime or I think somebody was committing a crime kind of stuff. So it's really, really varied. We, you know, businesses can post their specials as well. So we really want to keep, you know, it flexible as much as possible, as long as the posts and the comments adhere to the page policies and rules. Sure. And then I'm looking on the group. It says popular topics and posts. So community, 57. Neighborhood has 52 posts. Friendship has 16. Art has 13 posts and Bloody Marys for seven. And those are some of the popular topics in those. So it's definitely incredibly varied. Um, What would you say you see the most of? That's a tough one because it really varies where we are and what we're doing in life. You know, Uh, right now it's kitten season. So you're seeing a lot of stuff about kittens. I've noticed. I mean, we're a very pet friendly neighborhood. So there's a lot of things about animals, whether it's finding a home, a lost animal. There was a post just this morning about a cat that like 
is an indoor outdoor cat on the beer line trail close to the dorms on just north of north avenue that cat makes our page easily once or twice a month people think it's lost um there's a lot of resource-based posting right now because of covid that isn't always the case you know in the summer months there's a lot more event related things right now there's a lot more restaurant curbside pickup menus because of what's going on so it really the outside world does affect what's being posted and of course the elephant in the room the trolls who are always trying to cause problems and it's the I think there's 10 of us right now try, as an administrative slash moderator team that are trying to make sure that the page stays, you know, in some kind of order and decorum. Sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on this episode. I loved getting an inside scoop on one of my favorite neighborhood pages. Next, we turn to an online community expert who will contextualize the challenges and successes related to building online communities, as well as give a relatable pandemic perspective. My name's Darren Goff, as you can probably tell from my non-local accent. Um, I'm from the UK. Um, I'm an online community specialist with about 15 years in the game now. I uh, started off as a community manager for a website in the UK called moneysavingexpert.com, which is a, a sort of large financial independence website. Um, subsequently, I've worked for other companies helping communities build online presences, um, so I've worked globally on that. And I now have uh, my own company, which is Ireland 23. Um, and one of our main clients is the NHS in the UK. So we do a lot of work around mental health support and how to support those with mental health needs in online communities. So I think that's probably a good summary of, of me and who I am. Yes, that was great, Darren. Thank you. Um, could you explain what makes an online community? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, at its base level, online community really is a, a virtual space where people come together to, to do a number of things. It's either to share experiences, so people that have a passion maybe around you know, something like yoga and want to create a little yoga group for, for comrades and people in their, in their communities, um, or at a, at a larger level, brand communities, which is where people are coming together, um, you know, sometimes to solve problems, sometimes to uh, work on products. So communities can do a number of different things, but ultimately a community brings people together with the objective of, of providing value. Um, whether that's hobbyist or whether it's professional, it's a space where people can share passions, thoughts and ideas and, and hopefully gain some value from other people in the community um, to make their lives a little better. With the onset of COVID-19, so many companies, organizations are pivoting to online communities. This is both internally as organizations are forced to work remote and build culture online and externally as event and engagement based companies have to pivot to online events. What advice are you giving to organizations who are used to working offline um, and now have to work online? What advice are you giving them? Um, well, the short answer is quite a lot. Uh, obviously, the situation with the world currently is, is forcing many organisations' hands in this matter. So uh, it's what we kind of call the digital workspace. So, you know, some of the listeners might be familiar with the, the intranet in the dark days of the late 90s and early noughties. Um, and it's, it's really an iteration of that. But the tools and processes we have these days are far superior um, and allow us to work remotely in ways that we never could before. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the way that companies are starting to pivot and the questions they're asking, uh, the first one really is, you know, just a really open question around, you know, how do we take our processes and move them online? 
Um, the second part of that is always to talk about the technology. So what type of platforms, what type of solutions are there out there? And I think with both those things, there's always a concern around, you know, budget costs. You know, how can we how can we get this done? But the, the truth of the matter is for a lot of organizations, there are a number of free tools and um, services out there that can get you started. You know, even something um, like Slack, which some of the listeners may have heard of. You know, free piece of software that you can create virtual rooms in. You know, you can share documents. It becomes your your brain for your operation. Um, they all, you know, they all exist right now. You can you can pick up a free copy of Slack and get started. Um, but I think the the sort of main message really is just one of, of kind of patience as well. You know, you you will find that people do transition to online better than you probably thought they would. Um, the trick really is just to remember that obviously you remove any. Uh, interpersonal communication or body language so there's a big piece in there really I think about especially in the early days of transition is just making sure that people feel very included in what you're trying to do um, make sure you capture feedback as early as possible and just really ensure that you're you're giving people the power to feel like they're also helping to shape the environment you're creating because they're going to be part of this new um, interesting online world that we we find ourselves in now and it's important that we, we're inclusive of the people that transition with us. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, how do you stymie online community burnout? You know, there are so many Zoom meetings. There's so many slacks. Um, how do you make sure that it feels good and warm um, as it would maybe in an office space, but now is online? Yeah, it's an excellent question, Casey. And um, I think there are a few things to be mindful of. I think the first one is that obviously the sort of traditional work day blurs a little when you go online. So whereas before, typically people's days were defined by the times they physically walk into an office and physically leave it again. Uh, with an online community, it's very easy for those those markers to slip. So it's important to communicate with the team that, you know, the, the expectation is that you're not going to be there all the time. You know, online communities by their very nature run 24-7. And of course, the other part of that is the notification element of online communities. So we'll all be aware of things like Facebook and you get the little red dot or whatever and the, the human tendency I think to want to go and discover what that's about creates that sort of uh, Pavlov's dog effect you know where the bell rings and the dog expects a treat I think it's very very um, important for us to make sure that we put those boundaries in places because otherwise you will find yourself working even though you're working remotely and you feel like maybe you know you get your commute time back it's very easy for that then to be engulfed by a lack of awareness of how time slips and expectation of, of when people are around and and when, what they do. Um, I think the other part of that is there's a big piece in here around um, making sure that people are mindful of their physical health. So because you can, you know, you have the option of literally walking from your bedroom to wherever your terminal is and logging in, um, it, it's very easy to sort of lose those things around taking regular exercise, taking breaks from your monitor. Um, and also, you know, things like we do a lot of work with organizations that, that have transitioned into online. And they find it's things like employees have sort of forgotten to take a drink of water for two hours because they've been so immersed in staring at their screen and maybe there's several people vying for their attention. Um, you know, and typically in an office environment, that can be done in you know, an open conversation. So communication sometimes becomes a little more complex um, and people find themselves sort of losing track of time. And of course, the sort of good traits for human beings to make sure we drink water, to make sure we take regular breaks and exercise and we you know, construct our meal times accordingly. That stuff is very easy to let it slip. And it comes from a place of love, right? You know, you want to make sure that this transition is successful, that you're supporting your fellow team members. Um, and that also, you know, if you're the, the organizer or the boss of the, the, of the piece as well, you want to be make sure, you know, make sure you're there for people. So any questions they have that you can, you can help answer. But that does come with it, you know, this sort of blurring of the lines. Um, and it's, I think to start with, it's very 
important that people are, are mindful that that needs to be in place and that people you know understand that whatever their usual finish time of is they they are they can log off at that point um they're not expected to respond to notifications after a certain point and it, it may sound obvious you know when we talk about these things with with the people that we work with there's a lot of sort of nodding in the room and people sort of i think find this quite obvious when we say these things but then when you ask them you know is this familiar? You get a lot, a lot of people also say, yes, actually, you know, we do do all these things. So again, it's it's sort of shifting, your, it's putting those virtual markers in place that, that sort of represent the physical markers you would get in the real world. So I think that, that stuff is really important. Um, otherwise, you know, we online communities are an industry where we do have to tackle burnout. It does happen in our industry quite a lot. Um, and I think people are sort of becoming more aware, certainly in the last um, 18 months, and certainly the last sort of three to six months of COVID-19, that we do need to be mindful. And there's one other piece in there, Casey, as well. Most companies will have a, you know, a fantastic mental health policy, but quite often it applies to mental health in the workplace, and it'll have a lot of sort of physical parts to it, um, you know, whether that's about things like ergonomics, or it's about, you know, being able to leave the office space. A lot of companies won't adjust that mental health or won't have adjusted that mental health policy um, for an online space as well. So it's also a great chance to go and have a look at that document. You know, if you, if you don't have one, it's a great chance to to build one with the input of your team. There's plenty of resources online um, that you can, you can you know, find templates you can customize. But also just to review some of your policies, you know, it might not just be the mental health document. There might be several other things, you know, in terms of the culture of the company or things that you, expectations of staff. You know, a, a good proactive employer at this time will definitely go and look at those documents and just see how they can be adjusted to take in some of these, this sort of crazy new world that we all, all are forced to live in as well um, and just make sure that staff have the input into that and they can help shape that. I'd love to talk a little bit about our extracurricular um, online group. So like my favorite online group right now is called Dog Spotting. It's a group on Facebook and it's just like really cute dogs or little fluffs as everyone calls them. Um, and I'm also part of Numtots, which is a new urbanist um, new urbanism memes for transit oriented teens and it's all about uh, public transportation and I like I go to those groups you know after hours or whatever to have a laugh and to you know talk about current events that are going on in public transportation and like news media etc cetera, etc cetera. so could you talk a little bit about like what keeps us online after work yeah, well, um, but there, there are a couple of sort of psychological principles, I think, within this. Um, we have to think about the types of people that connect as well. You know, for, for a lot of people, actually, online communities are a way to connect meaningfully with other people that they can't do in the real world. So, you know, we find a lot of examples, things like geography, um, you know, or perhaps disability or very real world problems that stop people able to um, invest in their communities. Um, certainly in the UK during COVID-19, we've seen I think like a re-emergence of local community in the real world, which has been great to see. But it's also being facilitated or supported by online services. So whether that's a WhatsApp group or whether it's a, a Facebook local group that's been spun up. So I think it's that desire to find people like us, people that, that have shared interests. And it can be for a number of reasons, again. I mean, the, the, the two examples you gave were fantastic. Um, but I mean, in the case of things like dog spotting, you know, I think just you can see the type of things or the type of people that would be interested in that because it serves a very specific purpose around, I don't know the site specifically, but I'm guessing it's around humor and it's about, you know, those sort of things as well. So exactly uh, at a fundamental level, you know, we're all people that have innate desires and needs and traits. And also we have a, a need to belong. 
you know, I think for me, there's been very few positives of COVID-19, of course, but one of the things that have come up is that sense of community seems to be coming back in a way that it maybe hasn't for a lot of years. And I think, you know, that's, that's great in the real world. You know, we all, all need to, to invest in our communities and, and to share, you know, good deeds with each other and be supportive of each other as well. But I think just those online communities at the moment are just serving that need for people where they can find, we use a term in my industry, um, people like me. So it's identifying with people that share similar traits to yourselves. And, you know, through work or through relocation or through just the, the million to one chance of you being born where you are, um, it's no guarantee that the people around you are people that share similar interests in you. So for those extracurricular activities, I think it's finding those fantastic little niches and pockets of people that, you know, just there because they're passionate about what, what the topic is and whether it is to, you know, share some humour or it's to find a new band, or it's, you know, to share, like I say, yoga techniques, or whatever it might be, or just these, I mean, so for, for me, we're, we have a, a six-year-old, um, and in the UK, there's a, a big site called Mumsnet, which is, you know, kind of a parenting site, and it's, it's sort of a, it's kind of a mix of fantastic advice, and people going through similar experiences, and also some catharsis, right, so at the end of a tough day, when you've put your child to bed, and maybe you've had a few arguments about, where a certain toy should have been or whatever it might be, just that ability to reach out to people who get it and who can also go, yep, I can understand. We had exactly the same experience last week. There's just that catharsis element as well, that there are people out there that you can speak to, that you can talk to, and maybe that isn't your next door neighbor. Maybe you know, that's just not the right person. So I think all those things kind of mold together for me to create just that innate desire we have as human beings to find other people that can serve certain needs in our, in our extracurricular activities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, can you talk a little bit about the online community life cycle? So there's so many online communities popping up. Um, who's to say who succeeds and what does that life cycle of success look like? Yeah, again, it's, that's a fantastic question. So there are a few sort of recognized models around community maturity that you can look at. And typically, if you think about it like a, a sort of a bell curve, if people are familiar with what that is, the first sort of, if you divide that into four, the first stage is that sort of awareness, you know, and that kind of slow build. And then you get a significant growth stage. And I think for communities, what you're looking for is that point will come where in the early stages, a community manager or just someone running a hobbyist community will typically be the one that's posting content or comments or liking things or connecting people together. As your community grows, what you'll find is that the people themselves in the community start creating more of that content than the community manager is because you've reached a certain level of people and it can be, you know, 10 or 50 or 100 people. Um, but you'll get to that point where you start to see those sort of seeds of life spring up in the community. Um, and that, I think, is when community really starts to take off. Um, so in my journey at Money Saving Expert, I was there nine years. And for the first sort of two or three years, our growth was fairly predictable fairly slow if you want to use that term you know sort of hundreds into the thousands um, and then probably only in year, year three or four we'd sort of reached 10,000 that was an incredible milestone by the time I'd left after nine years it was 1.8 million so you can see how communities will, will grow organically over time um, but I think the, the key takeaway for me is always to not rush that process so there's a I think a vanity fascination with metrics in terms of membership numbers and how many people we get through the door and all those kind of things in my experience, good communities that stand the test of time um, actually focus on small scalability. They focus on small launches, but they find the initial core of people that are absolutely passionate about whatever that particular cause is or a hobbyist community or a work environment or whatever else it might be. And what they do is they nurture those people. So they make sure that they're your ambassadors or your kind of core user group. 
And then over time, those people will start to word of mouth recommend other people. Um, you know, perhaps you'll do some social media work. You might even put a little money into some sort of advertising or pay-per-click. But when the, pe the new people come into the community, they're already finding this really motivated, tightly gelled, supportive group of people that absolutely love what the community is about. And that message of positivity, of course, is what's attractive. And those people are creating amazing content. So the community starts to organically build by itself. I think where I see community go, if not wrong, but certainly approaches it from the wrong angle, is to sort of build a massive, if you think about an analogy of building a massive warehouse and aiming to get 10,000 people through the door on day one, that looks like success, right? You get fantastic, you've got 10,000 people. But if the community isn't really structured properly or doesn't have enough quality in there to keep those 10,000 people in the community, they'll leave and they'll leave pretty much within 24 hours and the chances are you'll never see them again because the moment's gone for them. So I think that is the, the big takeaway when it turns, comes to organic growth with community is think about that first period. You know, the first period to get to 50 people might take six months or a year. That sounds like a long time. Believe me, when you're a community manager, that goes quite quickly. But also the value you're bringing to those 50 people and the value they can bring to your community, that's the thing that keeps your community around in five years, in 10 years, and allows the growth to happen for those people that arrive afterwards. So that's how I see it, Casey. That's why I think it's really important to grow community steadily in the first stages. And you know, a good community that does the right things at the right times will always be the community that offers the most value and grows in the right way and attracts more people over time and also you know, stays the course of time. The situation with COVID-19, as, as I say, from my perspective, has opened the doors to community in a, in a meaningful way that maybe hasn't been there for a little bit of time. You know, if you think back to maybe how parents or great grandparents talk about hyper local communities and everyone knew each other on the street and the community centers or the restaurants were full of people you knew and there was loads of interaction going on. I think over the years, just for various reasons, but, you know, online certainly being one of them, I think that that need or desire or perhaps just it's been forced upon us has sort of been fragmented a little. And I think at the moment, the, the main thing I can say to people is, you know, there, there's a need for it. People are, are wanting to connect offline as well. They're wanting to find people that are prepared to go first, that are prepared to try, are prepared to put the effort in. You know, for example, with my neighbours in the, the area that we live, um, you know, we, we knew a few of them by sight, didn't know a huge amount by name. So we set a little community up. Uh, put some leaflets through doors, invited people on. We're now a little community of, of about 30 people and they're doing great things for each other. They're doing things like um, offering plants to each other. If someone's had a shopping order and someone's short of something, that offline connection again is there. So, you know, again, you can just do small little things that show, I think, a, a passion or a willingness and to build trust. So to, to underpin all of this, I think, is that need for trust that we have in each other as humans. And I think we just have to amplify the trust a lot more. And that, I think those are the things that will sustain community and to bring us together in an offline world as well as the online world. So I'm curious about the psychology of online communities as well, right? So you see some people like they're addicted to social media or like every week or so, I feel like I delete Instagram, Facebook off my phone and I'm like, no, I've had enough of this. How do we balance this like addictive quality that, you know, is proven the people at Facebook, Instagram, they're like making it so that we want to go back on. Um, so how do we balance that versus the incredible like insight and co collectiveness of going online? Yeah, it, it, that's a really interesting one. I think there's a, there's a great book that um, might be a good starting point on this called Hooked by Nir Eyal. Um, so that's N-I-R-E-Y-A-L, I think I'm right in saying, hooked. So it talks about how people are, how people's attention. And of course, 
at the moment, we live in an attention culture. This is the currency of online. Um, if you ever hear people like Gary Vaynerchuk talk about social media, it's very much around the currency of, of um, awareness and, and what you see. Um, I think the first thing that not a lot of people always ask themselves is actually what is the value I'm getting from this? So we tend to default straight into the sort of self-critical mode. So, you know, I suddenly realize I've wasted an hour on Facebook this is awful, I'm deleting the app. And I've done that, you know, we all have. It's, it's a natural reaction. But I think all that really does, it's the same as anything really. When you deny yourself 100% from stuff, something that you actually do take some enjoyment, it's the expression absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I think there's a, a natural tendency to feel like you've denied yourself. And that, of course, in time, you then reopen those things to see if it was as bad as you thought it was or as good as you thought it was. So I think the important thing when we're talking about social media and addiction is to firstly work out, am I actually taking a value from this? Now, your value is, of course, your own judgment in terms of what is valuable for you. But where I would sort of urge caution is that if you suddenly found that you've lost an hour and you've gone down a rabbit hole of, you know, you started with some nice cat videos and an hour later, you're just in this really strange Uber world of cat related stuff. But has that been a good use of your hour? I mean, it's, it's always important to, for me to remind people that, you know, uh, your, your life and your time is the only currency you actually really have to trade that's uniquely yours. So just think about think about it in terms of this. When I'm, when I'm trading my time for something, am I getting the value back that I wanted to get in the first place? And I think what happens is as we, as we move down that funnel, people start to recognize the areas of social media that are causing them the most pain. So rather than 100% denial, what we tend to do is help people focus on the things that they do enjoy. And I think that it's okay to watch cat videos on Facebook. You know, we all need you know, we talked about various websites, Casey, that you visit and things that just give us pleasure. And there's no harm in that at all. But I think it's just making sure that we're aware of what is actually genuinely pleasure and what was all what was just basically filling half an hour and you didn't realise the time time went by. So it's just asking yourself those questions really about, you know, is this valuable to me? And I think once you start to think about it in those ways, I think you start to um, restrict or certainly um, curate the content you're seeing to make sure that actually it does give you a return on the time you're spending. I hope that helped a little. Yeah. No, I'd just like to close up really by just, just touching briefly on sort of mental health in online communities as well. So I want to finish on a, yes. a story which will sound um, bleak to start, but it's actually quite inspiring. So in my time at Money Saving Expert, I came in one Friday to a handwritten letter from someone, which even back in those days was quite unique. And this is sort of a minute past nine in the morning. So I'm taking off my backpack and have a coffee. And the letter starts by saying that this person two years previously, their debts had got so bad, they were on the point of putting their child into care and committing suicide. So at this point, my blood runs cold. I'm wondering what this letter is going to tell me. And of course, the letter is very inspiring because what had happened is they found our online community. And not only had they found information that could help them, they'd found support. They found people like me. And over the course of those two years, they paid off their debt, which I think I'm right in saying was about £200,000. Um, so a huge amount of debt and they actually managed to pay it off and of course the the most motivational parts of it were they kept their child and not committed suicide so I think just as a, a sort of takeaway message and that's quite a it feels like quite a big story but just being mindful of those people that need our support in online communities this is a great way to reach them you, you know 10 people in a community that are passionate about chess three of those people might be suffering from really substantial mental health problems, anxiety, depression, whatever else it might be. Starting online communities can be their lifeline. And if people ever need, ever get into a situation where they feel like they need some additional help from this, there are plenty of resources out there um, that can help signpost you to professional services. But online communities play such an important role in our society. And I think we're seeing through COVID-19 that it will become increasingly more so. So that's just a takeaway about the power, as I see it, of online community and the good we can do in this area. 
Thank you so much, Darren. Um, I wanted to end by asking if you have any action steps for our listeners. So ways that um, us people online from all uh, ethers of the world can can do outside or maybe online as well. It's all good. Yeah. So, I mean, if people are interested in online community as a as a premise, um, there's there's a huge amount of resources that you can find out there. Um, there's a there's a few books that I'd recommend. There's a book by Richard Millington um, called Buzzing Communities, just blanking on the name, um, which is a great start. There are loads of resources. There's an organisation called CMX who do great work in this field. Um, if anything I've said resonates, um, you know, feel free to look me up on on social, on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm always putting little resources and bits and pieces out like that. Um, but again, I think the message really here is just pick something that seems interesting in this area, you know, and then once you once you get on the track, especially with online community, it's pretty addictive. I'm going to warn people now. You know, once you understand some of the principles behind building online community um, there's a lot of social science involved in it which is always interesting and it's becoming a profession in a way that it, it definitely wasn't when I started about 15 years ago and I think it's just a, a, a richly mined area at the moment where there's a huge amount of resources that are coming to the surface once you take the first step into one of these places you'll instantly be connected you know we're, we're all it's a fairly close industry um we all know each other. You know, the reason you and I, Casey, are talking today is through a, a third party that would very kindly put us in touch. So I think just taking that first step again, you know, just going and finding some of these resources and then you'll you'll automatically be put on the path for more resources. And also there's there's a huge amount of help out there. That's the other thing as well. If people are listening to this thinking, it sounds interesting, I might give this a go. But ooh, if I read this book, what do I do next? There are loads of communities out there, either Slack channels or Facebook groups or whatever else, traditional forums with people like myself or people that are just starting their journey, they, the help out there will, will open after you make those first steps. Um, and I hope that I hope that's inspiring to people to want to do this. I mean, our industry at the moment needs, you know, loads of community managers. This is this is in a very odd way a growth industry right now because everyone's transitioning. So there's it's a great time to get involved with online community or you know, if you think about digital workspace or even if you just think, you know what, I'm inspired to start a local group that's passionate about playing chess. Just, just make a start. There's loads of resources. Come and speak to me if you need to. Uh, get in touch with Casey if you need to, and I'm sure we can put you on the right track. Thank you so much for all of your insight and for joining us on the podcast. No problem. You're welcome. Okay. Our last interview was with Jeremy Foyette of Milwaukee. Jeremy and his team have rapidly pivoted to online-only events in light of COVID-19, and I am super stoked to share what they've been up to. At this point, so much of our lives and livelihood has changed. I don't think there's any corner of the world who has been, um, hasn't been touched by this. And as someone who works in event and engagement, such as yourself, I wanted to have you on the episode to talk about how Milwaukee is pivoting. So if you could just start by walking us through some of the emotions that you felt with your team and how you handled this at the start of the pandemic. The, the emotions were <laughs> like, oh my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh this if, if that's an emotion um this is crazy uh you most companies don't have pivot planning as part of their maybe monthly or even annually focus um the good thing about us is we're always we have a database of new ideas that we contribute to ongoing and thoughts so we've had stuff like we actually did have a lot of online programs that we'd never had launched because we never really needed to. And most of our focus was always about being in person and connecting and you know, having those, using your senses and, and 
building relationships that way. Uh, so there was a lot of panic in the first, I'd say, 24 hours. And then it, the switch flipped to how we could really kick off an online vision of content quickly. I think that's really the key word there, quickly. So many of us in Milwaukee rely on Milwaukee as a way to find belonging and engagement and a way to find community. And all of a sudden, we are not necessarily allowed to do that in a traditional sense. You know, going on your website, for example, you mentioned that one in four people feel lonely. And mm-hmm. that's like on your that's on your front page. Right. Um, and while I'm aware of that statistic, it feels really kind of brave and vulnerable just to put it so clearly out in the open. Um, what made you decide to make this choice and how are you solving this problem online now where there's even more social isolation? Yeah. So we've been diving in, you know, one of our big clients is Advocate Aurora. And what we got into was a discussion around the mental health of loneliness and isolation and depression and, and all the things that can trigger loneliness and isolation. And one of the things that we've always inherently done, even if we weren't using this vernacular, was helping people find place, passion, purpose, and other people. And so we were at, at the front, like, well, this needs to be the forefront. Like, what are we trying to solve here at Milwaukee? Yes, it's about new ideas. Yes, it's about finding new people to connect to. But at its infancy, it's and at its like core value is how do we connect people so they don't they find other people so they feel like they belong. And the reason we put it on the front page because I don't think people talk about being lonely. And it's starting to come out more. And then really what flipped this is we picked up a book a couple of years ago called The Crisis of Connection. And it showed and all this data around how you know the United States is lonelier than ever before. Um, there's actually like even like the United Kingdom has a minister of loneliness. So it was really important for us to go to lead with that and go, if you're out because you're not going to inherently go online and go, I'm lonely. I want to find friends. You're going to, you got to have something to identify with people. And this is what we're trying to solve. And we're trying to solve, you know, there's a lot of people from a talent perspective that used to come to the city, move here for their first time. And maybe they're a significant other that moved with someone else, or maybe they moved by themselves that they can't connect and they can't connect maybe because the city of Milwaukee is a city where everybody's nice, but everybody has their social groups because a lot of people that live here are from here. So that was why we led with that. Can you talk a little bit about what we can expect from Milwaukee in the coming months? I joined your coffee and co-working um, on Wednesday at 830. Is that every Wednesday that you have that? Thursday, Thursday. Thursday. Oh, you don't know what day it is anymore. Together, right? <laughs> Um, but that was excellent. And I got invited to like an 80s workout party on Monday. <laughs> and I like got off and like, I had all these like LinkedIn invites. I'm like, yes, who are these people? Like, I can't wait to meet them offline. But also like, I'm so excited to be expanding my network online as we deal with this. What does Milwaukee have in store for us? Well, we wanted to become the Cloud Cafe, which we created was to become a platform for others to contribute to or us to create programming that resonates with certain a variety of people. Um, one is small business owners. So there's segments of conversations around small business owners. Two is leadership and you know, business development. And so there's programs around that. And then there's uh, programs around, we're launching one called Urban Spaceship actually next week, which is around urbanism and placemaking and things like that. But that's a national podcast or national guests, I guess. But 
the one you're talking about, the coffee co-working was we're creating all these, not just to have here speakers, but how do people connect with each other and how do we build more of those formats? So what we, what we'll continue to launch is pro we'll slow the pace down a little bit of like not having programs every week where we're doing that during shelter in place. We're coming up on the end of that. Well, now the programs will have a little bit more uh, depth to them than just doing interviews. There'll be workshops, there'll be interactive. Um, so that's what you can expect from us. And the coffee co-working one has been great. I think what you'll expect hopefully for that is for it to grow on besides beyond Milwaukee. Like that could be something that every city does uh, or every, you could have a hundred of those in the city. So what, what we're hoping for that to become is people trained to be facilitators and have access to the marketing, branding, and, and all those questions I ask. Cause each one has a different theme and we hope that because that, that really does spawns community. I want to create, we want to create more programs like that. So it's not just about hearing an interview or a speaker. It's about the, the audience developing a relationship with other audience members and being part of the project. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So as you know, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has struck down Governor Tony Evers' stay-at-home order. And while Milwaukee's safer-at-home order still exists, we are getting ready to go back out into the physical world. What part of online community do you intend to take with you into the future when we're allowed back into these physical spaces? Great question. I don't think our online community stuff ever goes away. I don't think it's as often. Like we're not talking about every week we have to do a program. Um, And that wasn't really the intention. It just kind of happened that way. But what we're, what we notice is, so we, let's say we do an event and we do an event with, with um, you guys, uh, political open mic and the event costs a couple thousand dollars to bring people together. The event's free. So the only way that event can actually make money is through sponsorship um, and, and be sustainable. And, and I'm not talking about sustainable, just like break even, but actually make people money and pay people to do the pro- program. You know, I think that's the big thing that people don't understand about a lot of the community events is they're not sustainable in, in their current form. So what the online portion allows us to do is to have it be more sustainable because it costs virtually nothing to do a program online, uh, depending on the format. And it reaches an audience that can't make it, um, whether maybe you have kids or whether you're in a different city and you don't want to commute to that. So, and it allows you to, to, to maybe even fail quickly, right? Like you, you launch a program and, and not that you're judged because what we've been really clear about is we're not judging each show by how many people show up. We're judging it by the quality of the conversation. Cause then we, we can record them and push them out as content later on. Uh, but we're just, but if, if you do have a program that just never hits and never sticks and it's not feeling right, you didn't spend thousands of dollars to get it off the ground um, to have it fall flat in your face. You spent very little money to have it fail. So that's where we're looking at always having an online progress. You know, we're looking at a conference we're doing in fall that we still have planned to do. And our goal then is to have, well, maybe there's a different price for some online content. And then if you want to be in person, and let's say we can have as many people as we want. There's there's that, or maybe there's a limited amount of people. Um, we can have a limited amount of tickets, and you pay a little bit more to be in person. And a few people that um, are in person, some people are online, and it opens up your audience. The challenge is that with online programming becomes maybe a what I'm what I'm fearful of, I guess, is a l- loss of localism. And what I mean by that is. Now I, like Casey yourself, could say, why do I choose to go to a Milwaukee event if I could go see this pitch by this 
XYZ person that has all the acclimates and that's free, but and I wouldn't go to that conference otherwise, but now I can go to it online. I don't have to leave my house. So the competition becomes uh, way uh, more increased, right? So that's what I'm a little nervous about, but to answer your question on all that and, and go into some more questions. You mentioned a loss of localism and that's totally valid. There's a huge amount of competition. You said that and I was like, oh, I wonder what is happening online in like New York or LA or Iowa or wherever. Are there insights that you're gathering from our community because you're online that you didn't really realize about Milwaukee or perhaps people who are paying attention to Milwaukee before this? Um, so I've seen, I mean, yeah, I've, I haven't, I've, I've been really hammering all these programs around the, the world that I've, like, I just was in a smart cities conference in the Netherlands. I would have never probably went to that. So I feel like, you know, I'm my, I'm part of the problem. Like I'm seeing content that I'm not seeing in my city th- that I might want to go to. Um, so there's, so that's kind of the, you know, I'm, I haven't learned anything like to answer your question. I haven't learned new stuff about Milwaukee. I mean, a lot of the conversations are related to, to the topic at hand and, and COVID itself right now. So I'm not, you're not getting any more depth other than what's the current issue um, for most of the conversations happening on the civic level. The biggest thing I've noticed is the opportunity to give everyone a voice at an event um, that is, so I'll, so I'll just give you a deep dive into some analysis. So generally, if people don't know this, um, if you, unless you're an event planner, you don't really know this, but when people, when there's a free event, about 35 to 40% of the people show up that RSVP'd. As an event planner, it's psychotic because you're trying to get food or you're trying to do this or you're trying to do this. So it's like, so pe- if everybody's RSVP and no one shows up, I mean, you can still have hundreds of people in the room. So, you, I mean, we'll, but we get around 35 to 40% return rate. Um, that's still a lot of people in the room, but it's not as many people as you're expecting. So you can see the the challenge with that. With online communities, that's been up over 55 to 60%. With the, with the programs like Coffee Coworking Club, where it's about the person, we're seeing an 85% return rate on the people at RSVP, maybe even higher sometimes. So what that tells me is there is an opportunity here, instead of having an interview or just a speaker, is how do we make people more a part of the conversation and more a part of the program, even if it is just an interview program? Um, one of the things I did the other day was create a virtual line. So, you know, you, when you have a, a speaker at an event and and you, um, you're, you're after the event, there's usually a line that queues up to talk to that speaker. Yeah. Um, how do you create a virtual line? in a zoom room and so we you know piloted that you get three to four minutes in a breakout room with individually you can ask the questions and then time's up and you come back and send the next person and then you can have some like you know you're, you're still missing the networking component and that's the thing i don't like about online communities you know is is how many zoom meetings do we have to have before we're friends and i don't know the answer to that but that's what i've been struggling with is like okay i met you twice on zoom yeah. does that mean we're, we're cool does that mean like I, I could text you now or like what what is the so that's kind of so I don't know I'm, I'm a little rambly here but what what I'm getting at is there's so much stuff to figure out and and I'm really excited about how we can merge online with offline so you know some of these programs we're doing online right now could also be their own version of a program in person and we've already built an online audience to come in person so there could be a uh, ad hoc of both too. 
Well, we wouldn't be Bridget City without asking you what your action steps are around this topic and online communities generally. Uh, what have you got for us, Jeremy? Well, my action item is to be the opposite of pulling back. And right now, and that's kind of what the Cloud Cafe was on the online platform and the communities that form within the programs is right now we're in a time where a lot of companies are pulling back and a lot of and for good reason right like we're, we're trying to maintain ourselves we're there's a lot of people in a maintain and recover and um a, a mindset well at Milwaukee, we're in a build mindset right now we're in an innovation mindset moving forward it's not we're going to come out of this stronger and we're going to try to grow right now in, in a time when no one else is. So we, if, you, if you've noticed, we've become more bullish online with our programs uh, than before. Uh, and, we're, and there'll be some hopefully more announcements in the short future of, of growth and where we're going. So I know that it is, is a place where not everybody is in the position to do that. And I respect that. But we ha- this is an opportunity to take a look at what you're doing as a company or in a community and say, why were we doing that for so long? And Casey, we, you know, we were looking at, we're looking at our stuff and I'm going, what were we doing there? Let's just cut that. You know, this is a really good time to go through all your stuff and find yourself again. Um, it's unfortunate that it's at the expense of, of a pandemic and that we don't build this time in for stuff, you know, every year we should companies should be going through and, and, and looking at stuff like this. So then that's another thing that we're, you know, in action, and we're going to have this type of planning and this type of process moving forward for the rest of our company cycle life. Um, and is like, how do we step back and, and find space to be more innovative and be in a build mindset, not just a maintain mindset. Thank you, Ruth, Darren, and Jeremy for joining us. And of course, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, consider supporting us on Patreon at the 414 level. And of course, let us know how you are helping bridge the city.